Welcome to the next podcast from Millinery Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode of Millinery Info. On this series, we welcome milliners from across the globe into your ears and studios. Today's episode is with Rodney Gordon. Rodney is a theatrical milliner based in New York City who's made some pieces for some iconic shows. I had the privilege to visit Rodney at his home in Brooklyn earlier this year. Thank you to our wonderful podcast sponsors for their ongoing support of this series. House for Dawn, Louise McDonald Milliner, Hatter's Millinery Supplies, The Hat Magazine, Millinery Australia, Judith M. Millinery Supply House, Hats by Lico, Be Unique Millinery, Lifted Millinery, Hatblocks Australia, and Hat Academy. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes. That's in your podcast app that you're listening to or through our website. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed this one or one of our past episodes, maybe you found a few tips and tricks for your business or it's inspired your creativity. I'd like to ask you to become a patron of the series. We love our podcast sponsors and there's also two options available through Patreon as a way to show your support. There's one called A Little Thank You to Millinery Info. It's as little as a cup of coffee each month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash millinery info to sign up or find out more. Well, I guess the first question to ask is, well, first off, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely Certainly. to be here. Um, what might be a simple question, but probably a very complex answer is, how did you first come into millinery? Um, I was... Um... Let me think back. It has to start with my uncle, I guess. Um, well, no, my maybe my sister. <laughs> my sister uh, got me interested in opera. I didn't. I was sort of interested in classical music. This was when I was in high school, and she got me a um, um, season tickets for the uh, symphony one year for yeah. Christmas. And I loved that. And then the next year, she got me uh, tickets to the opera. For the season, it was like four or five operas, I think. Yeah. This was in Texas, so there weren't huge productions, but you know, pretty well done. Yeah. Um, and I fell in love with opera. From then on, I was just like, I want to work in opera. And then when I went to college, I thought, well, I'll do. Um, I'll go into, you know, I'll become a music major. I didn't know what to major, major in. Yeah. But I loved. I knew I loved opera, but I was never really great in with music. Uh, I could read music, and I played in the band in high school, but yeah. not much. I dropped out of that because we got a horrible director one year. Um, so I left that. But anyway, in the I went for the uh, what is it called the 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 like the test thing in the summer before yeah. you start college, you know. And, and uh, I saw this. I met this guy who was an incredible pianist, and I thought, what am I doing? I can't. You know, I'm going to can't music school. I can't, I can't compete with who's going to be in yeah. music school. I really yes. don't know what I'm doing. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go into theater because I've always been very crafty. I like doing stuff with my hands and, you know, art things and like, uh, you know, folding the napkins or doing the place settings or making uh, trash cans or whatever with my grandmother. My grandmother had taught me um, embroidery when I was very young. Several years went by, and I asked my mother. She would teach me how to use the sewing machine. So this was my first. You still have it. I still have it, yes. I, I don't know how old I was, like 10, I think. Yeah. And uh, 
she picked out a pattern that she would thought would be easy for me to sew. So anyway, that was my first machining. So I knew how to use the sewing machine. And, uh, oops. Um, so I thought, well, I'll go into, you know, I'll do theater because that's still related to opera. That was what I wanted to, I just wanted to work in opera. I didn't know exactly what, but uh, then my sophomore year in college, my uncle called and said, do you want to come and make hats at the Met? He was working at the Met Opera. Yeah. And he said, they're, you know, we're do they're doing a production. There's lots of helmets and stuff in it. Um, and I said, I don't know. I've never made a hat. Uh, and he said, well, I'll, you know, I'll show you yeah. what's expected and we'll go and visit before you start and stuff. And he said, you know, it'll just be a nice summer thing for you to do. <laughs> was he a milliner then? No, he was a scenic artist um, <laughs> then there. But he was, he was in the design union. So he did scenery and uh, costumes and designing and lighting. Oh, wow. Um, and worked a lot in New York and in, uh, then he worked in South Africa. But anyway, so I got a, a job at the Met Opera that summer making hats and headdresses. And it was fun. I liked it. And then the next year at college, um, we made a hat in the, uh, in the uh, theater, you know, in the crafts yes. part of the costume class. Yeah. And I made a hat for that. And then... Um, the next summer after the Met, I went to Santa Fe Opera and worked in the props department. So, and I worked there four years in props department, um, four summers. And one summer we did, uh, there was a production of Italian Straw Hat. And uh, since I was the only one in the prop shop who had made a hat, there was this, uh, a whole set that was a millinery shop. Yes. And so they, they was like, okay, you have to make all the hats to decorate the millinery <laughs> shop. Because yes. I was the only one in the shop that had done that. Yeah. so I, And I thought, this is really fun. I like this. Um, and uh, then I went to work. Um, I did apprenticeships for the Houston Opera and then for the San Francisco Opera. Doing different things. Um, you know, I was still, I, I was very involved in scenery and props and, and lighting and like everything because it was an apprenticeship so they would send me to different departments you know to take care of things and in San Francisco I was the uh, assistant to the uh, technical director so I was doing a lot of drafting drafting the, the uh, scenery and stuff yeah. um, and uh, then uh, that summer that I did Italian Straw Hat in Santa Fe there was a man uh, Fred Nida who came from New York to help us because we got really behind on I don't remember which production but there was so much to do and so they brought him from New York and his wife uh, Janet Harper they had a studio together in New York and she did a lot of millinery and stuff and I so I said you know I'd really that would be fun I'd love to you know and he said well you should come and work with Janet and you could make you know and so anyway that's what happened I came to New York and that was sort of my plan I always knew I wanted to be in New York mm -hmm. But I wanted to meet enough people so that I, you know, was sure I could get a job when I got here, yeah. which happened very easily once I got here because I had worked, you know, it's all right. those different opera houses and stuff. I'd met lots of people. Yeah. Um, so I came to New York and I worked for them for about three years, I guess. And Janet at the time did uh, um, was doing all the millinery for the Met Opera. So we were doing so much millinery for 
you know, and period stuff. I don't remember exactly what productions we did, but uh, a lot of eight, uh, 18th and uh, 19th century yeah. stuff. <laughs> and as you can imagine, hundreds of pieces yeah. uh, each time. Um, and then I started, uh, people just started asking me to do work, and I started, and then I moved in actually to their house, Glenn, and I helped with the renovation because I knew how to do carpentry and, like I said, lighting. Very and everything. skilled, so, yeah. Right, so I was helping him build cabinets for the kitchen and um, et cetera. Anyway, so we were almost finished, and I, at the same time, around that time, I met Richard mm-hmm. and uh, in, in 77. And uh, and I said, do you, you want you know you want to move in together? We could rent their an apartment in their house. They're they're going to have two apartments. Um, so that's what we did. I moved in with with Fred and Janet. And so then I it was a really big apartment. And I started working in the apartment, just making hats because people started asking me to do it. Yeah. Um, and other projects I was doing armor and um, some jewelry things and. But it was mostly hats. Yeah. Um, and then through that, I met um, different designers and people, you know, and it just it just grew. It just kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, I had to, you know, get a space and another space. And <laughs> at this point, I've, this moving the business to my house now is going to mm. be my eighth space, I think, that I've had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they just kept getting bigger and bigger because I got more and more stuff and then the more stuff and the more people you have, then you have to get a bigger space and then you have to pay for that so you get a bigger... So that's how it happened. And I never I never really wanted that to happen. I just wanted to be by myself. Just know? kind of evolved. Right. Yeah. I just wanted to be alone making it by myself, but, <laughs> which is where I am now, going back to... Yeah. But, yeah, it turned into... Um, usually I would have, like, three or four four people all the time wow. but sometimes it would if we were doing a big production and it was a rush I would hire extra and we'd be up to like 10 or 12 or, um, and uh, so and that takes us basically to the present um, what else influenced me I mean, I mean I've learned a lot from designers I guess yeah. you know and making it and seeing, seeing their as Aiko said her vision um, <laughs> uh, you know, just little things, um, um, and that—that's what I always liked doing. You know, was learning more and more and more. Yeah. And but unfortunately, I wasn't working. I'd done a few things for opera, and I still do. But I wasn't at the opera. You know, I was doing. It became mostly Broadway stuff that I was doing, uh, which was okay. But it wasn't why I came. You know, yeah. it wasn't why it wasn't why I got in the business I wanted to do opera not not Broadway not <laughs> rock concerts or, or ice shows my god I've done a lot of ice shows and circuses and you know whatever yeah. um, but uh, yeah and but now I'm getting back into opera a little bit uh-huh. um, yeah I just did one for uh, Denver Opera there's a designer that uh that I work with, Bob Princiola, and does beautiful work, and uh, he's been hiring me, so I can, and I've been just doing it on my own. And usually the uh, lead time for opera is more than what uh, Broadway does. Yeah. You know, like, I remember when we first did Phantom, we only 
basically I had maybe four weeks to do it, three or four weeks. And there were lots of things. We did all the masks in the masquerade and lots of hats. So there was a lot of sculpting and casting and, you know, and there are mannequins in that, in that one scene too. So we're doing all the, all the stuff in the mannequins as well. And to do that in that amount of time, you know, was insane. I was, you know, sleeping on the floor sometimes for like an hour and get up and go back to work. Oh, wow. and, yeah. uh, and that, um, but now, in the way that, uh, that opera works, you know, there's a lot of lead time. And I knew, I had the sketches, oh, probably almost a year. And I was only doing 15 hats. Yes. So it's nowhere near the scale, but it's so much more enjoyable. Because, you know, I can take my time and I can make it the way I want to make it. And if I don't have something, then I can... Source it. <laughs> I can source it or I can dye something or I can make something else or yeah. whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'm, like, I'm liking that a lot. Um, and the spaces that you moved around in the city, were they with other creatives or were they on, on your own in different buildings? Um, let me think. The first one was uh, I was in a room. I had a room in a shop where a lot of different people were renting rooms, you know, and it, it, I think there was a rental place and another, but only lasted a, like a couple of months. There was a big fight amongst the people, Ooh. and I was like, oh my God, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> um, so that was the first one. And then, then I moved in with. Uh, uh, a guy who had a shop on 14th Street, Mark Hopple, who's now at the uh, City Ballet. He's head of costumes there. Uh, but he had a shop, and we rented a room next door to him. So it was kind of connected, but we had our own separate room. Yeah. And I shared that, actually, with another very old friend of mine that, that I first met at the Met in 73, and then he worked in Santa Fe with me. And, and uh, anyway, so we were sharing a space. Then the... Uh, let me think, what was the next one? Oh, then I moved in by myself. And uh, it was a pretty small space, but, uh, but big enough. And it, had, it was actually kind of nice. It had uh, ceilings that uh, slanted up towards the front of the building. It was the top floor, and the whole front of the building was glass. Oh, incredible. Uh, looking, and we had a view of the Empire State Building. and uh, So it was, it was small-ish, but since the tilt of the, you know, I could build up. So yes. I had like storage up. So we we're always on a ladder going to get that, <laughs> that thing up there. Hanging from your toes. Right. And it's, that's what the rest of the shops have always been too, because yes. I've got so much stuff. Um, then the next shop was that one that you saw yes. in, in the book there. A nice big space. But that was, no, 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 that's not it. There was another one before that that was even bigger than that one. Yeah. Uh, and that was by myself. It was nice. It had uh, it had terraces on two sides and windows on three sides, um, and a nice big space. So I love that too. We used to go out on the front terrace and have lunch. Um, you had to go out a window to get onto it, but but still, you know, it was nice. There were yeah. tables outside, and you were sitting outside in the middle of New York City. It's great. Amazing. Um, then I moved into that space, and that was a sublet from uh, the costume shop that I still sublet from now. Um, but that was very large, and then um, and still in Manhattan. All of those were in Manhattan, except uh, my first in my apartment was in Brooklyn. Yeah. And then we moved the last shop, which is the one I'm in now, is much smaller, and is in Long Island City, but still a sublet from the costume shop. 
that uh, that I've sublet for for a long time. Sally M. Parsons. It's called Parsons Mirrors. And anyway, she's retiring. Yes. Well deserved retirement. She's <laughs> she's uh, she's up there in age. I won't can't believe she's been doing it so long. Mm-hmm. Way past retirement age. <laughs> but you know, a, a lot of people in this business keep going for a long time. There was a. Paul Huntley, I, he was in his 90s. He was a, uh, a wig designer mm-hmm. and maker. Yes. And he was in his 90s, still working. And several designers that I know in their 90s, still, you know, still working. Yeah. Um, so it's that kind of profession where you keep going. Um, and Woody Shelf, he was a, um, an incredible milliner that was... Uh, for a long time connected with Barbara Matera, who had a costume shop, but uh, also worked on his own. And he worked for, um, well, he worked for John Fredericks, who was, uh, he was a fashion milliner uh, no, I don't know that in the people. 50s and 60s. Um, and then there was, I don't know if it was Mr. Fredericks or Frederick something. Anyway, they merged for a while and it was John Fredericks. Yes. And Woody worked for them for a while. And then he started doing uh, theatrical millinery. But he still did, he didn't have a line or anything, but he would do, you know, um, another friend who was doing the, the diva hats. He loved doing, you know, things for the stars. Yeah. So, uh, uh, in, in, incredible uh, milliner. Yeah. And I worked for him for a while. He was quite difficult to work for, so I didn't stay very much. He yes. kept wanting me to come back. Every time I'd see him, he'd say, why don't you come back and work for me? And I was like, oh no, I'm too busy. But you know, it's like we weren't allowed to talk when we were working and you weren't allowed to, you, you weren't allowed to put the hat on your lap or on the table. It had to stay on the block oh, to sew. And then one of the things I, I remember one of the things I had to do was he, it was a, a straw braid hat. Um, and it had a ruffled, you know, the brim was ruffled yes. like that. And he wanted me to sew, keep sewing. Like he started the inside and he said, just keep going and make this ruffle, just more ruffle as you go and showed me what to do. But I wasn't allowed. So I was sewing like this. Midair. Midair. <laughs> my, my shoulder at the end of every day. And it went on for days. You know, because it was pretty big, and yes. I was just doing like this for days. Uh, so exhausting. I was like, oh, my God, can I put it down? You know, down like if I have a reasonable height? Right. <laughs> no, it had to be up on the block. So, um, But it wasn't that that bothered me. You know, those little eccentricities were all right. But it was the no talking, and the, uh, he would just be kind of mean. And no one cried when I was there, but other people told me you know that he always made them cry and but it was just that kind of atmosphere it wasn't comfortable yeah um and I never wanted to work like that I always liked I always used to think in my shop that I wanted everybody to be happy you know like we come here to enjoy this we don't I don't want it to be like torture every day um so that's why I liked having my own shop and if, if if people if people didn't fit into that then they didn't Last it lasted, right. yeah. Right. yeah. And how did you build up that team and find your people? Well, people would just come. Like Mariette, who you met yes. earlier, she came in one day. She was on a tour with a, with somebody that she had met at a theater group, yes. and they came through to see me. And I was sitting at the machine, and I said, do you know, 
do you know how to sew? Yeah. And she's, oh yeah, I know how to sew. And I said, well, you want to... <laughs> <laughs> and and that you, was it. <laughs> can you do this now? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, as she heard like 20 years later. And then uh, another one, Rachel, uh, had, she came as an, uh, an intern from NYU. Yes. As a, uh, uh, you know, she had studied design, theater design at NYU. And anyway, she came as an intern and stayed for 20 And she still works for me sometimes but she hasn't been full-time for many years she's got her own career and stuff but she helps me out a little bit now and then uh there was bob jones who i'd met in santa fe first and he came to work when we first started doing um phantom in whatever year 88 i guess and he worked for me for 30 something years he just stayed (laughs) <laughs> like, be doing something so those, those people you know yeah. just came and stayed so there were a couple other ones that weren't quite as long but yeah. you know co- people would come and stay for years and years yeah if they if they fit in it was great um so that's a, that's how it happened then like i said i'd hire over hire and yeah. stuff but, as you need yeah right and your equipment and materials it can be ever never ending about what you collect how did you and moving between spaces what like what are some of the blocks that are absolutely key for you in your workroom what do you work well I did you know I do I don't know how this happened but I do a lot of top hats Um, um, I remember the actually the first top hat I made was for um, it was for the Met Opera Mm -hmm. And uh, the design, there was a staff designer there at the time, Ray Diffin, who was a well-known, he had a, he had had a costume shop in the city and then, um, or or, had been associated with different costume shops and had, I think was hired when the Met Opera first set up the shops and stuff, he was there. Mm -hmm. And then he went, you know, he was back at his own shop. Anyway, then he was hired as staff designer at the, at the uh, Met Opera. And I remember him saying to Janet, I was working with Janet at the time, and he said, well, nobody can make a, you know, like what we really want is a proper, you know, uh, not beer, but Hatter's plush, you mm-hmm. know, top hat. And uh, so I took that as a challenge. It's like, I can't, you telling me I can't do it? Watch. <laughs> right, I'll try. I'll certainly try. So I actually, and they needed the miniature. Yeah. For little kids, and uh, so I made a block, a five-piece block, yep. and uh, made the hat. And he, he was very impressed, and I was like, "Well, see, I, I kind of did it." But then, then I just started doing it. Then you became then, the guy. Yeah, I was <laughs> like the guy who would, who would actually do it. And I've changed so much over the years how I do those, but yeah. those materials change, you know. It's That's like, going to be one of my questions to you. Is I mean, in fashion millinery it's changed so much but in theatrical millinery what's what is the evolution of materials that you've seen it's yeah it's it's horrible um i mean it's horrible in a lot of ways i don't like using a lot of plastics because mm-hmm. um because they're not very forgiving yeah. you know you can't steam it and change the shape once it's made and so you have this hard thing hitting your head um a lot of people love uh foss shape do you yeah. use that a little bit yeah, yeah. no i i use it for uh Occasionally, I'll use it for a finished product, but usually, if I do, I will uh, I'll resin it or something to make it even stronger. So I want it to like be a durable thing, you know, yeah. not a not something that's fitting on your head because I never think that's comfortable. Plus, it doesn't breathe well. It's not 
you know, I like using natural fibers, like yeah. a, a wool felt or, or a buckram or whatever that yeah. you can, you know, after you wear it a while, it adjusts to your head. And, you can uh, feel it. Right. Some material, well, there's this. Um, and for those who can't see, what is this? This is a very famous shaped hat, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it's the, and I, um, when I first did, it's the witch's hat from Wicked, Alphaba. Uh, so when uh, Susan Hilferty came to ask me about this, and she was, uh, she said, well, they wanted to uh, do a thing on stage where um, it transforms <laughs> from one hat to the other. So uh, I thought about it a while, and I was like, well, I, I think I can do this. And I, um, so it come out, I know this won't be visible on the thing, but the, the crown would tuck in like that. So it yes. looked more like just a flat crown. Yeah. hat and it had a, a ribbon around the outside with a flower on it yeah and uh this i think that the the good witch uh, what's her name glinda has or somebody has it yeah. and hands it to her and she said oh i'll take it i'll just change it she ripped off the ribbon and flower and went like this and the and the crown popped up you know and so that was what i was supposed to create was something yeah. that could Magic. do this but look good yes um, and uh, it's funny the shape that's this kind of shape it has was when the when the wardrobe lady first got it she said I didn't know and I thought that it had gotten crushed in the box so I was trying to and I said no that's what that's what Susan wanted she Wibbly wanted wobbly, this like yeah. right right and this wavy edge and everything but the entire hat so uh, is crushable like this and it just springs back because the edge it's a polyester uh, screening material inside and then which is heat set. Yeah. I use a, a heat gun and put this on a block and heat set this shape into it. Mm -hmm. And then the, the brim has a spring steel wire. So the hat is basically, you can crush it into a little ball and it just pops back. Uh, but that was just because I had to. I, you know, I came up with that. And I used that, I'd used this a lot, this screening material for eyes and character heads and things yeah. you know things you have to see through because I could I could do those and it would better than uh, what do you call it we call it in the, the US Cape Net I used to use Cape Net but you oh. call it uh, um, French Net or, or uh, you know it's, an, it's, it's net mm -hmm. and it's very heavily sized and, and you can block a hat well it's yeah. not available in the US anymore but I, I still have a few bolts of it but don't tell anybody. <laughs> Personal bolts. He's not yes. offering it up to anyone. <laughs> the same with buckram now. Buckram, yes. you can't, it's impossible, become yeah. impossible to get unless it's really, really fine, like what you, you know, like Taylor. almost like muslin yeah. um, that's been sized. Uh, but the, yeah, the buckram we've been using, but it has evolved. I used to, when I first started doing hats, we always got uh, a, a two layer, mm. you know, so it'd be a heavy, like a, a more open weave, heavier, and then a fine on the front. Yeah. But it was blockable. Yes. You know, you could actually get, like you could block a round shape with it. Yeah. And then the double buckram became more dense and dense and dense so that you you could still block it, but it was so difficult. Hard work. Um, and then it seemed to change to just the heavier side with not the other side, and that's what it's been for years. Um, but that's not even available anymore. Uh, and thank God I've got a few bolts of that. So I'm, I'm 
being precious with that as well. But, you know, when I first started, I was using Willow, I think. Sparter. Right. Um, I used that, and I, I still have a little bit of that, but I, and I use it occasionally. But, you know, it, it doesn't hold up as well. You know, it's starting to get so old that it's not, you know, the Willow wears out. It's yeah. like straw. Yeah. You can't keep using straw forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so changing is difficult. And sometimes I don't, I don't mind, and sometimes I do. But since I had had a background also in in uh, mask making and and uh, do you cross over those materials between yes, the two? All of them, yeah. Um, so originally I would use a celastic for making things, which was a a, a fabric that was embedded with uh, colloid, yeah. and you dipped in acetone, and then you could form the the mask or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I still have some of that, but it's and and it is available, but it's not like it used to be. It's not as easy to use. It doesn't work as well, but you can. It's still pretty good. Um, and I and I worked a lot in fiberglass and latex, and uh, I don't do much in fiberglass anymore, just because it's you know dangerous and yeah such a mess to clean up and stuff but it's still it's a it's a wonderful material to use because it is lightweight and certainly durable yeah but that i sort of become replaced with vacuform and uh plastics and stuff and i have a little vacuform machine so that's you know that's how this is made yeah um um yeah so i cross over and like i said sometimes i'll use resins like and put in the um embed in the um in the foss shape, or um, or in buckram, yeah. or, poly, or or urethane. Um, I use urethane foams a lot. I make my own blocks with uh, urethane foam, and yeah. usually felt. But I've made them from different things. Like I make blocks out of foss shape because it. Like say I'm doing a whole lot of one thing, and I need them quicker. Uh, and I only have one block, yes. and I'll make copies of that block. And I would make a copy probably using foss shape and then fill it with with uh, urethane foam. Yep. The densest urethane foam will give you a really strong block that you can pin into and it'll last forever. Yeah. Um, or in felt sometimes, but yeah, you use foss. And that way you can have, you know, you can block five things at the same time, mm. or six, however many blocks you want to make. Yeah. Um, so that speeds up the process. Um, and then if you don't need them later, just throw them out because... <laughs> Because they were the quick made, and you've already got the original block. The original, yeah. um, or sometimes I would block something, like if I needed a block that wasn't, and this one wasn't exactly right. It was kind of between that one and this one. I blocked part of it yeah. on one shape with foss, and part of it on the other. You know, like transfer Bring it together, and yeah. then make a block from that, or uh, whatever. A lot of times I'll just do f- patterned felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lacquer it, and then always 100% wool and a heavy felt. But like I'd pattern it, sew it together, get the shape block I want, and uh, and then lacquer it, and then re-steam it to perfect the shape so it's smoother and nicer. And then and then if you seal the inside, then you can fill that with urethane foam, and you can have a block. I mean, I've had blocks made. Yeah. But generally, like I said, the turnaround time is so fast for theater that you need, you, you know, you can't wait even days to have the block made. You need it immediately. Yeah. Um, 
So I can do that. I can make a block in a day if I need it. And then the next day the hat's done, you yeah. know. If, and you don't have to send it out, like do a mock-up and send it to the block maker, and et cetera. There's no time for that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's... I have a lot of real, you know, antique and wood blocks, but I also have tons of things that I've made myself. <laughs> Amazing. And what is the general process for you when you're working with a designer to create a piece for a show? Well, it's different with different designers. Some I've worked with so much. I mean, I've had people call and say, well, you know, you know what to do. It's on page so-and-so of this book. You know, look at, you see that picture? And I was like, yeah, or, or yeah. now it's like the email them. Yeah. You know, you just get a, like a something online, look at this online or whatever. Um, and other designers, um, it's very, very specific. Mm-hmm. There's usually a sketch and sometimes it's colored. So you know what color it's going to be. <laughs> Sometimes they're holding the hat, you know, in their hand behind their leg. Yeah. Um, so you have to say, I'm, I'm not sure what, what is it that you want. <laughs> but then a lot of it happens in the fitting. We'll do yeah. a mock-up and then go to a fitting and, um, you know, change shape a little bit or proportion or look at how it's working with the actor and get the actor's input. And, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes the choreography I'm, I'm on a few shows I've had to go to the theater, you know, and, um, the, and there was one show, tambor, uh, Will Rogers Follies, and they had these tambourine boaters. Yes. And, uh, and so I, I remember going to the theater for that and seeing the choreography. It was Tommy Toon and, and Jeff. Anyway, and they wanted to, you know, play with it and see yes. it. How is this going to work? Because there's a whole number with a chorus of people, you know, doing tambourine and and hitting their, they were boaters with, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that scene, yeah. but yeah. Um, so anyway, a lot of times it, it, it involves a lot of other people. Like mm-hmm. I said earlier, you know, it can get to the director or the, sometimes even the producer, you know, will have a say about what it's going to look like. Um, and that can become difficult. But anyway, that's sort of the process. And like mm-hmm. I said, sometimes it's, it's quick and easy, and yes, that's perfect, and nobody, you know, is going to say anything. But other times, it can go on for weeks or months or years. <laughs> I know that when I uh, first did Phantom, you know, it had already been done in London, yeah. so they brought me a mask yes. to copy, um, and so we did. You know, I took a. I can't remember if we took a mold from that mask or if we actually sculpted the first one. I can't remember now, but. Anyway, we got we had something to look at that was this is what we want. Then the designer cha- kept changing it. So over the years, it, it evolved, and she she changed the eye. The eye, it didn't even have an eyebrow shape at first, and she would uh, cut like she took more of the cheek, uh, made the cheekbone more evident, and changed the shape of the nose slightly. And that happened. I think there were four or five different sculpts over this over the time she was still with us she died uh, I can't remember what year it was but it had been running about 20 years so I'd already done like five different styles of mask because she was doing it around the world so she would go somewhere else and they would make it and say you know and then come back to me and say I want to change this I want to change that because well in Germany they did this and or maybe Australia they did this and you know 
and she'd come back and say, let's, let's try that here. So I would make it again. Yeah. Um, and probably if she had, was still alive, we'd still be changing it. <laughs> <laughs> so some people never stop, yeah. and others are perfectly happy. It's yeah. fine. Um, so it's always different. And with something like the shows that you do, you, how many of the one type of hat do you make? I mean, I know that's a variable question, but like you wouldn't just make one. You're probably making multiples for the understudies and the, they yes. get worn out. And yeah. Well, it, back to the Phantom, he would get, uh, there would be uh, 10 for the props department because it's, on the, it's in the end. They use it just holding it. Uh, and there would be, each person would get two masks to start. And so there would be, and so there was the, the lead guy then he would have at least one understudy, maybe two understudies, and then there would be the the doubles, and they would each get one usually because they weren't as important, you know, because you'd see him here, you'd see him there. So there would be three people on stage wearing the mask. So the first time we would do a production, there would be maybe uh, 20-something masks yeah. done. Um, and then I had done, I worked on seven seven productions of it I think so that's you know each one it, that's a lot of masks yeah <laughs> not that many to start with but then over the years and that's one of the most common questions I've had yes you know because I've been interviewed so many times about that yeah. show yeah and they say how many masks I, I have no idea this, the Alphaba the witch's hat I know we're over 200 now uh, because wow. it's the same thing yes. every time there's a new Alphaba she gets two hats uh, identical and then one I think they put a mic pack in one of them and the yeah. other one doesn't I don't I don't even know anymore what they do, but, uh, and they don't do that thing with the, yep, the open yeah they stopped doing that which I didn't know oh so you're making collapsible to, hats that don't need to collapse anymore no they don't but you know I'm not going to change it now because <laughs> it, it's that's the way they're done yes you know they'd be upset if I changed it I think <laughs> and it works well that way um but yeah, it's a, if a show runs yes. and it's the lead character, yes, then they get replaced constantly. Yeah. Um, so you worked on some pretty iconic Broadway. I have, yes. Are there, are there any that particularly stand out or are some personal favorites for you? Um, I, I loved working on Phantom. Um, I, I just think Maria Bjornsson that design that was, she was genius um, and certainly had a, uh, an eye for detail and, you know, obsessive about it, which, which I, I, you know, it's one of those things that can drive you crazy, but I always appreciate it if people are, if they don't change their mind every time they walk in the door, you know, if they have a vision and they won't, they're not happy until that's, then it's fine with me. I understand that, you know, I've worked with a lot of designers like that. Um, I'm trying to think of other shows I've really been happy with um, in the end. It's usually working with the designer, you know, that makes me happy. That, yeah. uh, if, it's a, if it's a good working relationship, and I, like I said, I appreciate the vision. If they don't have a clue what they're doing or if they don't really care, then, then I'm not as, yeah. then it's not good for me either. Yeah. Do some of them turn to you for your... Um, 
advice or direction as to what might be possible in yeah, those circumstances? Yeah, and, and sometimes I, I will offer it. I try not to, I don't want to force it, because, but I'll say something like, you know, like on a man's hat, the bow is usually on the left side, you know, mm-hmm. but they'll draw it and they'll put it on the other side or yeah. it won't be there. And I was like, well, do you want it? Do you want it on that side for a reason <laughs> or should I be traditional and put it on the right side? Yeah. But little things like that, you know, I'll, I'll mention it. Um, usually women's hats are, are high side on the left in, the, in, in period, you know. Uh, I don't know why. It's just kind of traditional look. Yeah. Uh, but that's another question I'll ask. It's like, are you, did you do this on purpose or, or should it be a little more traditional yeah. for this period, you know? Are most of them looking to get a somewhat historical or Some, accurately represent that? Sometimes, and then sometimes on stage it is on purpose, you know, because they're entering from a certain place and you don't see the other side of the hat. So, um, you know, it's just a crossover or they always, in the blocking that's on stage, will they'll always be facing that way. And a lot of designers will, will think about it and others will like, well, whatever you think, you know, it doesn't matter to them. <laughs> Yes. So that's, uh, but sometimes I do ask. It's like, really, you want it that way? Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you really intend? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm, you're really sure on that. Okay. And what have been some of the most challenging pieces to create? Uh, I don't know. Um, or is there a, I guess it's always problem solving though. You're rarely... I mean, besides replicating the same piece, you might not be doing the same thing twice. Yeah. Um, you know, quite often I do, but, but then sometimes I know I'll never make it again. Uh, yeah, problem solving, that brought to mind one, one show that was kind of funny. We were doing, uh, it was Bette Midler's Vegas show. And uh, it was, for some reason, it was really far behind and, and stuff had to be done and it they kept asking me to do another set. I was like, no, I can't because you've already, you know, I'm already behind schedule. <laughs> Don't ask me to do another set of 25 or something. I can't do that right now. Um, yeah, because she had like a whole chorus of, yeah. of girls that were on stage. So it was like showgirl headdresses, you know, times however many. Um, but there was one number that uh, we were working on and I was supposed to do it and, and the and it kept changing, and then this, the designer came in, who I love working with, it's Constance, um, Constance Hoffman, and she came in and she said, well, it's gonna be this, and they want them to open, it's gonna change from, they're gonna be all in black, and then it's gonna change on stage in front of us to all floral. And they want the headpieces to do that yes. too? Yes, okay. and, and one of them was huge. Like, it was probably, how wide is that? two to three feet across on an angle she had just drawn a disc so it was and it was supposed to open up into like a flower garden so -hmm. it was just this black disc on their head that had a built-in sort of of uh, wig fake wig sort of shape underneath you know um so she brought it to me that morning and there was no time and i sat at the table for a few minutes and uh and all of a sudden, I had to think. Well, it just needs to open like a like a rat trap, you know, like a mouse trap. It just needs to flip open. So I need a spring, and uh, and all of a sudden, I jumped up and I, I I walked out of the shop. And as I was walking out, I said, "I'm going over to Kmart to buy a rat trap. I'll be back in a few minutes." <laughs> and, 
Everybody started laughing, but I didn't have time to explain. I just went and bought, um, I actually just bought a mousetrap. Yeah. It didn't matter. Something to Something show me. Yeah. How does this, I know how it works, but you know, if I had one in front of me, it might, you know, get Trace my brain going. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that's basically what I did was, um, and it opened kind of like a, uh, you know, like a covered wagon would have the, the, the or boning, yeah. you know, going yeah. across so that all folded flat inside this shape that was only like an inch and a half wide, and then it popped open to uh, to reveal the the flowers, which were all made out of feathers, and we were making all the the flowers because the feathers were um, parade, so the, the the backs were stripped off, you know, so really soft. Uh, those wide, I don't even know what they are. I guess they're goose. You know, but wider feathers mm-hmm. yeah. that would crush nicely, but also spring back easily. And that's how the, the costumes were done that way. And then they, the other girls, there were six, I think, of those. Yes. And then the other girls had on uh, fedoras. Mm-hmm. And they did the same thing. They started out as all black with like a black beaded band. And mm-hmm. then they had to. And the way I did that was I just tucked it under the back here somehow. I can't remember exactly how I did it. But it all rolled under and tucked here, so all they had to do was reach back here and then pull it over the front of the brim, and it just made this whole like floral thing on top. Um, if someone came back to you now and said, "I want the floral fedora," do you have this? Do you keep a record of all these amazing pieces that you well, made, I, or that you're just making them and they've got to go out the door, so off they go? Sometimes, you know, sometimes there's a full mock-up done, and I think I've probably still got that box. A lot of times they. It gets thrown out eventually, mm-hmm. um, and now it's really going to get thrown out because <laughs> I just don't have the space anymore. And you know that that was a show that's never—I mean, it's long gone. Yeah. So it's, uh, Phantom has been around forever, so I still have original mock-ups from that yeah. I did for Phantom or or long-running shows like that. Yeah. Or Wicked, I have a few things from Wicked. So we've got Wicked and we've got Phantom. Could you just name drop? A few of the shows that you've worked on. Uh, God, it's, it's that's difficult. Uh, Where's? I was like, isn't there a list somewhere? <laughs> uh, I mentioned Will Rogers Follies. Uh, let's see. Well, I did the producers, the original. Oh, Book of Mormon. That's still running. I did um, a lot of stuff in that. Um, let's see. What else? I worked on the original Lion King, um, but I don't do so much, I, I hardly anything on it anymore, but we did a, a lot for the original. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot here, but most of them are, have, have long gone, you know, because I've been doing this since the 70s, so there's <laughs> stuff here that's not. <laughs> that I was just looking, oh, Mary Poppins, Aladdin. Uh, course line I worked on the original production a little bit because Woody did all those top hats so I was helping with replacements when I worked for him and then I did the there was another uh, Broadway company and a tour just like in the I don't remember what year that was 2005 or 6 or 8 something yeah. uh, so I did it again and then again and when you um, are producing, are you doing everything in-house yourself or are you working with other creatives like Flower Maker or Make Your Own Blocks? But are you bringing together a collective or are you 
still happening? It mostly happens in the shop. I sometimes I'll job out uh, if it's vacuum form, like uh, that Aida that uh, I don't know if you looked at it or not, but anyway, there was a, the Aida at the Met that's still there. They're still using it. We made that in I think 1990 maybe, huh. and a lot of that was vacuum form. So we would do uh, we would do the original shape and maybe do one mock-up to make sure it's going to work and then uh, make a, uh, a plaster mold for that to go out and that would get sent out to be vacuum formed so that they would, you know, pull 20 or 30 or however many we needed wow. of that. Or um, actually for that, that Aida as well, the, uh, we made a lot of the wigs for the uh, for the women that are all the braided gold and black, you know, with the beads and then they would have a band around. So I ordered... Uh, several different uh, kinds of cording and ordered that special so that it, it, the, so that the black looked like hair and then there was a metallic, you know, running through it. So, yeah. or, or tied, you know, so it would be, you've probably seen that now. That's like a thing that looks like hair with, yes. they look like beads, but it's made by doing uh, with the braid. And I ordered, I ordered that when it didn't exist because that was a long time ago. And, uh, Stuff like that would get jobbed out, or knitting. Sometimes I would yeah. job out knitting things that, because uh, I, I, I have knit, but it's not something I normally <laughs> do. You know, it's, I'm yeah. not fast at it. Now I have my friend Judith Ann, who's written like 18 or 20 books on knitting. I would get her to do it. <laughs> it's so much faster. Or there are other knitters in the city. Mm. You know, that one has a machine mm. knitting. So. Um, yeah, sometimes I work with people like that, but most of it happens in the shop. Uh, and I think maybe that some of that comes from the designers too, because they generally know me or other people know me, and they they would just take whatever that is, or they'll supply it. You know, like well, here we're having that we're having that painted for you, and that works a lot with theater too, because um, the shop I work with, Parsons Mears, they have their own staff of painters. So a lot of times um, we'll be doing something that requires, um, it especially happens with like ice shows, character things that are Disney characters that have a specific look, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do a, a fitting with the, um, it'll be a, a big head or something, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we cover it. It goes to the fitting. We first get the shape right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it gets covered or whatever, and then the painters will draw on where they need it, and then that cover comes off, mm-hmm. and we transfer all the, their lines that they've drawn on the hour cover mm-hmm. to paper, which then gets transferred to fabric for them to paint it, and then it comes back to us as the finished thing, and then we put it on. Yeah. So it goes through a lot of steps like that. So we work with uh, painters and sometimes uh, beading, yeah. send out beading to be done. You know, um, there's a uh, there's, there's a headdress that's now. I saw Polly the other night. She's a, a beater that used to be at Matera's for years, but she does a lot of the. She uh, does some herself, but also jobs it out mm-hmm. to different. Like she'll send things to 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 Britain or L.A. or wherever that Pete beaters that she has all over the place uh, when she needs things done. Um, and there's a lot of beating in Aladdin, but anyway. Um, a funny thing happened with that recently was uh, uh, there's this new Broadway museum 
And I, there was a, uh, you know that big red feathered headdress that's in Hello Dolly? Yes. Uh, it wasn't going to be in this last production that was, that was on Broadway. It was a smaller version of it, and then it kept changing, and then the producer's like, no, it's got to be, everybody's going to expect we've got to do that. So that's when, like I was saying, the producer gets involved sometimes. Yes. And he insisted that it was going to be that. It wasn't going to be tiny. It's got to be big. Yep. You know, we want a statement here. Thank you to that and, producer. Yep. Right. <laughs> so we did this big headdress, and the feathers all curl forward like this. You know, it's a big fan on her head. Yeah. And the front of it was all uh, beaded. But, you know, it was like um, kind of a starburst on the front <laughs> that was all beaded in red. Uh, anyway, it's in the Broadway Museum, and they sent me a picture. I don't know if it's been turned around, but in the display, they had the whole headdress was turned around. So you're seeing the back of the headdress, which was some cheap trim we bought at the store, you know, to finish off yeah. the back. I mean, it's sparkly and embroidered and stuff, but it's, it's not, not the masterpiece at the front. Exactly, it's not the it's not the showcase piece. So I saw Polly at, at an event the other night. She said, "I've got. I'm going to the museum. I'm going to look and see if it's facing the right way." Because I sent them a note, but I never heard back. I was, they sent me a picture, and I was yeah. like, "No, it's backwards." backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole point of that exhibit was about the beading. It wasn't about my headdress, although I got credit. But it was all for Polly to have her beating featured in the museum, you know. Uh, so it was funny. Um. Yeah, amazing. And you've had such a long, sounds like a very consistent career. How, what has been the key to that and keeping the work flowing in for you? I don't know. Um, I've, I think I've asked to work on four productions ever. Uh, you know, that I've actually gone and tried to get a job. And that was only because I wanted to work on that specific thing. And some, like I remember Showboat years ago that uh, the designer was doing, and I wanted to do the women's hats. I didn't, I didn't want to do the men's hats, but I ended up, they hired me, but for all the men's hats. I was like, no, this isn't what <laughs> I wanted. Want <laughs> because, because it was a Canadian production, and they had the milliners that were in Canada, where a lot of the costumes were being, they wanted to make the women's hats. So, yeah. And it was in-house. They didn't, and I don't think they had the blocks to make the men's hats. So um, that was one production. I was kind of upset about that. Uh, but I still did it. It was fine. Got to go to Canada and see the production and stuff and work on it, so it was fun. And meet Elaine Stritch, that was fun. I don't know if you know her, but no. she's a Broadway star forever. She was a lot of fun. I wish I'd made her hats, but be that as it may. <laughs> it was still fun to hang out with her. Um, but um, I'm trying to think of the shows I've asked to do. Were, uh, uh, well, uh, Hello, Dolly. I said, um, that was the thing where I said, I just told the designer, no, I have to work on this. Because uh, that was Bette Midler, and I'd worked with her a lot. And I, went, I just like, no, I have to do this. And, I, and it has to be her hats. I don't care if I do anybody else's hats. <laughs> I just want to make bets. Otherwise, uh, it's just been word of mouth. And I don't really know who were the people that were, you know, Your say, champions. You know, Carl Rodney. I know Ray Diffin helped me a lot. He was a, he had a costume shop here in the scene, and I talked about him before at the Met. And um, he's gone now, unfortunately. But um, 
and I think Jane Greenwood has certainly helped my career a lot. Um, she was one of the uh, designers I worked with early on. And then it just, I don't know, it just happened. Kept going. Yeah. People keep calling, so it's... It's good. It's fine. I don't know how. <laughs> like, like we said earlier, no, there's no card, there's no website. <laughs> yes, there is no, no card and there is no website. Is yeah. this just never needed it, didn't get to it? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Like I said, I had a card a yeah. long... Like Once. 30 years ago, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a card, but uh, nobody ever asked for it. It was funny when, when they did Priscilla on Broadway... Uh, I think it had already been done. I don't know where it originated, but it had already been done somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But I got a, um, I don't remember, somebody requested. They wanted to see my portfolio uh, for that. I was like, oh my God, nobody's asked for that in years. So I had to kind of (laughs) get one of these books together. And then I had so much of it since, you know, since I got a computer, most of the photos were on the online, on my computer. Mm -hmm. So I made a disc. I p- pulled out a lot of yes. discs, and I included that with the, with the old, you know, portfolio. Hard copy, yeah. Right, and uh, and then a cover letter explaining, you know, I haven't done and and a list of what I could remember of the shows I've worked <laughs> on. Um, and I took that to the, to the producer's office, and I walked in, and it was funny because uh, I was waiting, you know, I told the receptionist and she went away for several minutes. So I was standing in the reception room looking at all the posters on the wall of shows they produce. And I'd worked on every single one of them except two. <laughs> and she came back and I was like, well, just so you know, I mean, I know they asked for my portfolio, but I've worked on everything in this room except those two shows there. <laughs> anyway, I, I got the job. It was fine. But I just thought it was funny they asked. You know, After all that time and all those shows. Right. Because <laughs> that was, I don't remember what year that was. It was in the 2000s. I'd already been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. This year will mark 50 years, I realized recently, because wow. 73 was that yeah. first Met job. So it's been 50 years 50 since years. my first hat. Wow. You don't have the first hat still? Oh, God, no. And what's the current projects in your workroom? Uh, well, that. That opera, I said, is just left, and, and the, the wicked things just went to the theater this morning. Uh, I have Book of Mormon. Uh, I, I guess it's a tour that's out right now yeah. that I have things on order for that. Um, there is a Nutcracker I was asked to bid on, but I think I'm going to have to turn it down because I'm too busy with uh, the move mm. and uh, getting my uncle's estate. My uncle passed away last year. And so um, that's what a lot of that stuff over there is. I still have his apartment to clean out. Yeah. And uh, the pandemic has made that very difficult. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm kind of, I'm not going after jobs. It's just, you know, whatever comes, it's fine. What um, you can fit in. Yeah. And I would really love to work on that nutcracker, but I just think I'm going to have to say no. Yeah. That does, it's Bob Perzioli again, and he said, well, you can do as much as you want, but uh, or bid on it, you know, mm. we'll see. Uh, but he was also nice. He said, you know, if you, if you can't right now, that's fine. I said, I'm not going to stop calling. <laughs> I said, oh, thank you for oh, saying good, that. Good, good. Yeah, this, this will be good. You'll be my one, one job I work on whenever <laughs> I can. Um, so that's good. Um, 
I can't think. I don't think I have anything else right now. There are actually a few things um, that, are, that are still on order for Phantom, even though it's closing in a few weeks. Okay. Uh, and what's your... I'm sitting here in your beautiful home, but it's also becoming your studio. What's your setup like, or it's kind of in limbo at the moment? <laughs> well, it's all in my mind where it's going to go. You know, I want to get rid of a lot of stuff that's in that room mm-hmm. and make that sort of the, the uh, supplies... The uh, straws, I have, I think, 12 um, dressers full of straw braids and horsehair braids, antique things, you know, um, and then shelving with, that's all ribbons and uh, trims and things. And I think that's going to sort of fill up that room. And then on the top floor, there's a room uh, that's going to be all the blocking room. Yeah. Um, and that's probably where the, the industrial machines will be. And uh, then on the middle floor, <laughs> I've got a little room. It's, it's a real mess because it's totally in transition now. And I couldn't even finish what I was doing because I had to stop and make hats for this wicket yes. that had to leave. Um, so it's, 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 it's good there because I can watch Richard and mm-hmm. I can see the television, but I'm not in the same room. Yes. I'm sort of in the same room, but I'm not, so it's Close it's, by. it's good. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's. I've always been good at designing the space, yeah. Because I I I can build whatever I need and and just fit it in there. Um, so anyway, in my mind, it's already all there, but getting it there is <laughs> going to be another thing. Next step. This this house, uh, like we were talking earlier, is 1865, and the the electric. A lot yes. of it has never been upgraded since we bought the house oh, wow. 35 years ago. <laughs> and at one point, I had it, uh, a new line brought in the house, and they took the fuse box off the wall. On the back, it was dated 1911. Uh, and so, not been touched. And had not never been touched. And I know some of the electric, uh, the top floor and the middle floor are still, um, and this room, are still from that 1911 wiring. A lot of the the electrics go through the old gas lines. They threaded the wires through the gas lines. So if you see a sconce or like that chandelier, it was originally gas, um, and they just threaded the electric lines through the, through the gas. So there's got to be an, an upgrade happening <laughs> before I put my, my industrial machines yes. upstairs yeah. because it's all very old electric. And, yeah. uh, and then so there's one room on the top floor where the ceiling's falling in, so... That's going to be my block room. So I'm opening it, actually opening, taking the ceiling totally out and opening it all up to the rafters, so to speak. So I've got more height to expand. So you can go up. Right. Uh, And it'll be nice if I get it done. And like I said earlier, I was like, should I retire? I don't really want to, but, you know, I just want to do a lot less. Yeah. And enjoy. Right. Well, thank you so much for welcoming into me into your home and to chat hats with us. Oh, of course. Wonderful to hear your story. <laughs> of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of Millinery Info with Rodney. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you to our wonderful podcast sponsors for their support. Hatlocks Australia, Hat Academy, Millinery Australia, Hatters Millinery Supplies, House of Adorn, Judith M. Millinery Supply House, 
Hats by Lico, Be Unique Millinery, Lifted Millinery, and Louise McDonald Milliner. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes. Would you like to hear your business name mentioned? You can become a podcast sponsor of Millinery Info through Patreon. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash millinerinfo to sign up. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Millinery Info. I look forward to talking hats with you again soon.